0: Well, there you go. I think it's pretty exciting. This is always an exciting season in the, in the, the year for the church. And uh, obviously, we have a lot of vision as a church with expansion and, and what we believe God wants to do through us. And of course, I'm in the middle of a vision series. So we're going to change gears just for a moment. Even though that's very visionary, the vision series has very much been about what God's doing in our hearts as individuals, uh, I've really responded from what I believe was a, 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 you know, God speaking to my heart that this is what we need as a community of believers. Right now, we need to start thinking and dreaming yet again. That was the first week we looked at dare to dream again because we've just been through a season that I think has shut a lot of us down when it comes to expectations. Yet the Bible says that without vision... People perish. And that word for perish, it literally means people become undone, is the thought of the word. In other words, life begins to unravel. If you don't have vision that's getting you to leap out of bed with an enthusiasm for what comes next, you end up, your life just ends up wasting away. Another way to put it is we fade away without vision. And so i have been stirring our hearts for vision. Has anyone been getting a bit of vision? your personal life and again, not just corporate vision, we have great corporate vision but now I'm talking to us about our marriages, about our finances, about our children, about the things that involve us, about our businesses, our careers, wherever God has got us and we as the church are open 24-7, what is God putting in our hearts for how our lives can impact our world? That was kind of week one. You okay? You with me? Doing okay? Week two, we looked at the fact that faith is part of that journey. We looked at Abraham and the, the fact that vision always takes you somewhere you've never been. So it requires faith. We also looked at how Abraham was determined to keep God focused as he progressed on that journey. That this wasn't just an imagination of his own heart. It wasn't just a pipe dream, but Abraham moved in faith towards what he believed God was really putting in his heart and he was determined to keep God at the centre of it. There's a key for fulfilling vision for us. Then last week, we looked at, literally, how to write the vision and make it plain. We looked at the Australian prophet, Burrah, Just waiting to see whether any of you are still awake, whether you heard that message. You know, by the time you go Habakkuk and uh, you get Cook out of that and then you go to Burra and you know what Aussies do with names, we end up with the prophet Burra. And we looked at Habakkuk and he said, write the vision, make it plain. We talked about writing some stuff down, even drawing it if you have to, or getting a photograph of a preferred tomorrow. That's what vision is. It's a clear mental image of how things should be that, that really causes us to leap out of bed to fulfill destiny. There's that sense. And we need to clarify it. The Bible says for a couple of reasons. One, so that we can run with it and we know where we're running. And two, so that even if it doesn't happen, we don't forget what God has put in our heart Even though it says it lingers, wait for it, it will surely come to pass. There's this sense of staying connected to the dream, staying connected to the vision. Now this week, we're going to cover a lot of territory. I've got to get you to buckle up, bolt in. Are you right? Let's get ready to shift gears. We're going to cover a lot of ground, going to cover a lot of Scripture, actually going to cover 13 chapters of the Bible. We're not going to read them all. I'm going to paraphrase Scripture. I'm going to join Scripture. I'm going to cut it down to get the key thoughts. And we are going to look at the life of Joseph. Because when it comes to a compelling story about being someone who is moved by a dream and fulfilling that dream against every odd I don't think there is another story in the world like Joseph. This is a world-class story. And even though Joseph's, uh, the events of Joseph's life are extreme, they are mega extreme, I think that there's common threads, there's threads of human experience that are common to all of us, if you're someone who gets a dream, gets a vision for a preferred tomorrow and is determined to move towards it, then these are some of the things that we'll encounter. So I'll ask once again, who's got a dream? Who's got a vision? Has, Has anyone been firing up with a sense of vision and dream? Great. The good news is you can expect problems. I don't want to throw you off, but I tell you what, if you, especially if you get something in your heart that's of eternal value, something that God's putting there, it's, it's not going to just drop in your lap. Uh, my experience, experience that I've looked at, Bible experience, uh, I think if you're on the way to really fulfilling destiny, there will be some difficult days. Joseph has many of them and we're going to look at them, but the good news is we see some pretty amazing stuff. On the journey as well. So I'm gonna shoot through this quick. Are you strapped in? I warned you. Are you buckled in? We're gonna go. Okay, a little bit of background, real quick, for uh, Joseph. And I've titled this message The Trials of a Dreamer. Okay? The trials of a dreamer. Because here's one thing I probably should have mentioned. If you're going to say you're a dreamer, if you're going to get a dream and you're going to become a visionary kind of person, that makes you very vulnerable because at some point your dream has to go on display. And at that point it can probably be attacked in a number of ways. Here's some background on Joseph. Genesis 37, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17. Was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Ziphar, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. In other words, Joseph told tales on his stepbrothers. So you can already see that Joseph's life is getting precarious, as you can imagine. Some of us would even understand what that looked like from our own life experience. And then it says, now Israel, who was Joseph, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. We often call it Joseph's technicolour dream coat or the coat of many colours. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Imagine living in an environment where whenever someone opened their mouth, you already knew it wasn't going to be kind. That's what Joseph is living in. You just think about what we've just read. Here we have Joseph. He's living with a football team. Okay? He's got 11 brothers. So he's living with a football team, and he's the only one Dad buys a jersey for. So there's a little bit of jealousy. There's a little bit of angst. There's a little bit of tension as Joseph starts out. And, of course, he's living in this home, and he and his younger brother have a different mum to some of the, or to all of the other boys. Verse five, it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And here's Joseph, there's something about Joseph you just got to love, this sort of naive innocence, because he already knows he's living in a tense home. And, uh, and so he tells his brothers, I've had a dream, and it's an occasion for them to hate him even more. But then interestingly, verse 7 and 8, he goes on and tells them the dream anyway. Got to love Joseph. We were binding sheaths of grain. So they're out there. They've got their stalks of grain and they're tying them all up in bundles as they're harvesting. He said, this is the dream. We were binding sheaths of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheath rose and stood upright while your sheaths gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. So here's some thoughts, some quick thoughts, and then I'll ask us a question, and then we'll move to the next point. But if you're going to be a dreamer, if you're someone with a vision in your heart, if you got excited and stirred by the thought of a picture of a preferred tomorrow, at some point, and of course Joseph is extreme, but I think at some point you can guarantee you're going to be misunderstood, you are actually going to be ridiculed, you might even be hated by some people who don't like what you've got going on in your heart, and there's a few keys to learn from this. He shared it. When you think about it, with his half brothers, now the step brothers, and many as of here are in family situations similar to that. I don't want to focus on the, the physical nature of that, but I think that there's a very powerful spiritual parallel to that that I've seen, even in church, even when you're surrounded by people that should champion the dream and, you know, yell out, go for it. Sometimes some people don't see the dream the way that you see it. You know, they are brothers and sisters, but in one sense, they're one step removed from seeing things the way that you see them. And this is where Joseph is. He's living in this place where people around him, they might sort of, uh, you know, share the same family, but they don't necessarily share the same culture. What I'd encourage us is if you're going to share your dreams, share your dreams with those who are friends to your future. Only share dreams with people who are friends of your future because we've got all kinds of friends. We've got friends for a day. We've got fair weather friends. We've got friends for a season of our life. Now, we've got friends that all of a sudden become enemies very, very quickly. Have you noticed that over the the seasons of life? But the friends to tell vision and dream about are people that actually believe in you, that want the best for you, that aren't just thinking about what they're getting out of the relationship in the moment, but they actually want what's best for you right down the track. They're people that you can share a dream with. Joseph is learning this, I think, the hard way. Um, And it's sad, but I think some people never even get started on vision for fear of what others might say, for fear of what others might think about their dream. The fact is, most of Joseph's pain that we're about to look at, and he had lots of it, most of it came because he carried a dream. It was the dream that actually got him into trouble, in a certain sense, and it's the dream that got him back out the other side of it. So the question I want to ask us, first question is... What dream have you stifled or been tempted to stifle because you're fearful of what people might say? A little bit of, well, how how dare you think you're so special that you're going to do something great with your life? I mean, what makes you different? Other people have attempted. What makes you different? Well, actually, a dream is what makes you different. A dream is what carries you through to the fulfilment of your destiny. It's important for it to be a God-centered dream, and we'll get to that uh, again in a moment. But it's a dream that carries us. What have you stifled or what have you been tempted to stifle? Because you're worried about what people might say. Can I encourage you? Find people who are friends to your future and share your dreams. If they're friends indeed and it's a healthy, God-centered vision, then they will applaud you and cheer you on every step of the way. Okay, back to the Scripture. you doing okay? Verse 17 through 20. So Joseph went after his brothers. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes, listen to what they call him, that dreamer. And they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns or a dry well. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Joseph faced some stiff opposition. And if you're going to really dream and really pursue something worthwhile, it's quite likely you will face some stiff opposition. Who's glad they've got a vision now? Yeah. We still as enthusiastic. I think only half the hands went up that time. Almost, you could say. Well, what is what is having a dream paint a target on the back of your head? Well, maybe if it's a godly one, that could impact others for the better. Possibly yes. Possibly there will be a lot of containment and a lot of struggle. In there, facing stiff opposition, is part of it. I'll never forget in my previous church. You know, we were in the town, and uh, all we wanted to do was reach out to the community, be a blessing to the community. And one of the issues in the community that we discovered really early on was that all the youth in the town—they had nothing to do. They were bored. There wasn't that many of them, by the way. There was under a hundred uh, of kids that age when we were in this community, and um, uh, they were just down at the local toilets and smashing bottles and causing trouble and doing all kinds of things around the town. So we started a youth group. Within a couple of short years, we had 70 kids in the youth group, which was pretty well all the high school, the local high school was in the youth group. And we were doing a great job. We were keeping them off the streets. Even the local council recognised it. But we had one community leader. And this guy, every time he saw me, in public. He beelined for me and he accused me of all kinds of things, all kinds of bad motives for doing it. He hated the church. He hated everything we represented. And I'm thinking, hey, all we've ever done is bless the town. It was like opposition that really gets under your skin. You know the kind? And I just had to work out one day, it's not about me. He doesn't like what's living in me. Whatever's living in him (laughs) is upset with with Jesus living in me, I think. It actually wasn't about me. It was just opposition to the dream and the vision to do something that had eternal impact. And if you've got a dream in your heart to do something similar, you can expect a bit of opposition. So the question becomes, what opposition would it take to stop you pursuing your vision? Maybe it's already happened. If it has, can you identify it and call it out? If you felt like, you know, at one point I really had something in my heart for this and I was moving towards it, but this happened and this happened. Come on, can you identify it? Can you call out what that opposition is so that you can actually name it and deal with it and recognise it might be less to do with you personally than what it is to do with the dream that you carry in your heart. Okay, next one. That's encouraging, isn't it? Don't worry, it gets better. Nervous laughter. Okay. Verse 23, 24. So they stripped him of his robe, took him and threw him into the cistern. Verse 28. When Midianite merchants came by, his brothers, listen to it, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. The next trial that Joseph faced, he gets betrayed. So, you know, he's sort of, he's hated because his dad's made him the favourite, which isn't necessarily your fault. He's also hated because he's a bit of a naive kid who's, who's willing to maybe spill the beans broader than he needs to. He gets incredible opposition, even violent opposition, and now he's been betrayed and sold as a slave. Wow. Who's excited about their vision now? Who's ever been sold out? Come on, all of us have a sense of, one, of at some point of our life being sold out. It might not be betrayed for silver, although that's a common one in the Bible. Some people just won't do the right thing by you. And often it's motivated by money. Often it's a money deal. I've seen families split apart over a will because money became involved. And siblings lying about one, whatever. I've seen it all in my short time on the planet. But if you're pursuing a dream at some point, someone probably will do the wrong thing, possibly even betray you. And it's often, not always, but often financially motivated. And isn't it interesting that it's those closest to you that can hurt you the most? It's those closest to you. Those, these guys were right in Joseph's world. They were his own family. But can I just say, beware of people that are close to you, but they don't see the dream the way that you see the dream. That's what Joseph is sort of learning. So the question becomes, has betrayal been part of your dream experience? And if it has, what's maybe a more important question? Is how have you chosen to deal with that have you buried it and just sort of buried it and gone i'm just going to forget about that who knows that never happens it's it's one of those things where you know the that dead that dead body we bury the arm sticks up out of the dirt a little while later to haunt us so do we bury it do we brood over it is it something that just keeps coming back and we're steamed and we aren't actually getting on with the future of our vision because we're still steamed about what happened back at a different place where we were betrayed? Or have we forgiven and released? This is one of the incredible things about Joseph. As we keep going, there's a few more things to happen to him yet, but as we keep going, there's there's something about the life of Joseph where you can tell by his character that he just never gets bogged down in bitterness. He never gives up on humanity. He never stops believing the best. He continues to serve people and bless people and use his gift even when there's no promise of reward. That's Joseph and it's a key for us. Have we forgiven those who we perceive have betrayed us? Because if we don't, we probably won't fulfill vision. That's enough to take you out. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, One of Pharaoh's officials. He's actually the captain of the army. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. This is chapter 39 we're in now. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted him to his care, uh, entrusted to his care everything he owned. I love this point because this is a positive one. He's finding favor in the pain. And I really have a sense of a word for some people here today over this that it doesn't matter how dark, how destroyed, how disjointed the vision might have come, it doesn't matter what pit you seem to have fallen into. Because, you know, you can look at Joseph and say, I'd say he feels like he's a long way from fulfilling destiny right now. But what he finds is favor. And he's actually been elevated to a position of rulership. It's not what he saw in the dream, but it's very similar to the dream. He's not serving his vision. He's serving another man's vision. But somehow there's been provision and favour. So Joseph gets sold to a man who recognises his leadership and promotes him wonderfully and everything is going great. And I love this. God is good all the time. Here's Joseph even in slavery. God is good. There's provision in the pain. I love it. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I don't know how Joseph was feeling when he turned up there, but I've got no doubt it was a reflection of Psalm 34. But he knew the closeness of. Of God, and you see this in Joseph's story every step of the way. And it's an encouragement to us when things aren't going right, when things seem to be headed in the opposite direction. If we keep our hearts sweet and our spirits sweet, and we, you know, we release people and we don't let things bog us down, tangle us down, if we keep our vision God centered, God has provision even in the middle of our pain. It's interesting how we often pray for God to remove us from pain, isn't it? Is that a prayer that we pray? Like no one says, oh Lord, I'm just enjoying the suffering right now. Just give me another week of it. None of us are like that. We want out, yet Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. We'd say, Lord, remove me from, or remove my enemies. That's what we're tempted to pray. God says, I'll prepare for you. I'll provide for you even in front of, in the presence of what is pulling you down, what is difficult for you, whatever circumstance that might be. I love that. You know, we live in a very broken world, but we serve a very present God. And some of us need to know that and hear that this morning. You know, this is a very broken world. Your circumstances might reflect that, but we serve a very present God. He's not distant. He's near to those who are brokenhearted. Okay, ready to do a little bit more? We're about halfway. How are we going? We've got two minutes left. Do it easy. Okay. (laughs) Verse 6, 7. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. Now, you'd think that would be a positive, wouldn't you? But after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Verse 11 through 14 says that one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought here to make sport of us. He's making fun of us, in other words. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. You know, the pain of false accusation is a pain like no other. When you read the whole story, Joseph has withstood her advances on several occasions. Now, she's a rich man's wife. And in those days, that probably meant she was a lot younger than a master and probably very, very attractive. And she's come at Joseph again and again. And Joseph, in his integrity of heart, even though he's got control over the whole household, he is determined to keep his heart right and to do the right thing by his earthly master. And all he gets out of it is a kick in the teeth, which is exactly what being falsely accused feels like. Come on, who's ever suffered false accusation? Right here, she was frustrated with him because she couldn't have what she wanted, so she told a lie. Boy, that sounds like it could happen in real life occasionally, doesn't it? So that's thrown at it. Could be some, you could have been falsely accused because someone was envious of what you had or what you were trying to achieve. You could have been falsely accused and it was nothing more than tall poppy syndrome designed to pull you down so someone else might look a bit better. Whatever it is, Joseph experienced it on a huge level. And this is the interesting thing because the Bible does say no weapon formed against us will prosper, but it doesn't say no weapon will be formed. There are things that come. This hit Joseph, I've got no doubt, right between the eyes and it cost him dearly. But before we get to that, here's the question for us. Has false, ever, uh, false accusation ever intimidated you and your pursuit of the dream that God's put in your heart? Has false accusation, you know, it could be that you're just greedy or you're just this, you're just that something that tries to pull you down, have you ever been intimidated? Can I encourage you, don't bow to intimidation. It's just part of pursuing a great dream. If you've got a worthwhile dream, if you've got something of eternal value, if it's not just about me sitting on a beach feeling good about myself, if it's got some substance, then you can guarantee at some point someone's going to say something that just isn't true about you, but if you keep the dream in the heart, it'll pull you through. So here we go in Genesis 39, we're getting towards the end of it now, and when his master heard the story his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, we call that maximum security nowadays, another place in scripture it actually calls it a dungeon. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Another great point. Don't you love it that God was with him in the darkest moment. He's just been promoted in the wrong direction. He was a slave and now he's going to the king's prison at, at his master's pleasure, probably like on, on death row. That's where Joseph is and God is with him in it. And I just want to encourage you, you can find not only uh, favour in pain, you can find favour in containment. Whatever you feel is containing you. For Joseph, it was external. It wasn't his fault. For some people, it's the bank saying no to a dream. For a business or whatever that might it might be. For some people, it was the GFC. For some people, it's been COVID. It's changed everything. It's external and it's not my fault. But can I tell you, in the midst of containment, there's always favor to be found. If you just keep your heart open, you keep being keep your integrity, keep exercising your gift faithfully. There's favor that can be found, even in the midst of absolute confinement. And that's where Joseph finds himself. So do you have faith that you can find favour in your present circumstances? Come on, it's really quiet in here. You doing okay? Yeah. It's really quiet in here. Wherever your present circumstances have carried you, have you got faith that you can find favour in it? And I've got the feeling there's been people in this place and you've just been going, oh, well, you just even as I'm preaching you wouldn't understand you wouldn't understand and I don't I don't understand what you've faced I don't know how your life has been I don't know the things that have happened that never should have happened the things that were said that never should have been said I don't know those things what I do know from scripture is that no matter the pain no matter the containment there is always a place of favor for those that keep their hearts open and focused on the dream that God has given you That didn't receive anywhere near the response it deserved. (laughs) Genesis chapter 40, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Talk about a God incidence for Joseph. We know the story and I'll have to cut it down but They have dreams and Joseph moves in this gift that God's given him as a dreamer and he interprets the dreams accurately and there's only one thing he requests for it. He said, just please remember me. To the one guy who would survive, one guy was going to die, one guy was going to live. And he said to him, just remember me. Basically, get me out of here. I'm an innocent man. Tell someone my story. And and a couple of verses later, it says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Man, if, you are, if you're going to really pursue a dream that's worth pursuing at some point, you're going to feel totally forgotten. And I love this about Joseph though. He was faithful while he was forgotten. Even though he's been forgotten, he's faithful. He's faithful in that moment and he continues to be. He's still faithfully exercising his gift. He hasn't shut down on humanity, even though he's been betrayed, he's been sold out, he's been hated, he's been labelled, he's just been through so much and he's still willing to give. He's still faithfully exercising his gift, even when he's forgotten. And you could call it the trial of obscurity, every dream has it. And I so often see people blow, especially in my context, in a ministry context, where people feel like, I've just been faithful for long enough and it's time I got recognition. It's time I got position. It's time I got a bit of the power. And they reach out for something that may have been a godly dream, but take it prematurely. It's not something God's giving them and bringing them into. It's something that they choose to seize for themselves. And right at that point, the dream dies. But here with Joseph, he's just serving in obscurity. I'm happy to be faithful, whether it's recognised or not. I am still given. I'd like it to be recognised. Would I like to be out of here? Yes! But I'll be faithful anywhere. So here's the questions for us. Are you being faithful with what God has already given you? Or frustrated that you aren't where you thought you should be? Are you frustrated that you seem to be overlooked? Or excited that God is positioning you for your future. Because that's the faith element of it. Now eventually Joseph's brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh has dreams, they trouble him. And Joseph comes in, he interprets the dreams, and not only interprets the dreams, he gives the king a solution to a worldwide famine that's about to happen. And in Genesis chapter 41, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Isn't it interesting that just this is supernatural promotion? Think about it. Come on. He's in the dungeon. He goes from the dungeon to sitting beside the guy on the throne in one day. In the morning, Joseph, get up, have a bath. We've got to take you before Pharaoh. So he probably spent half a day, they probably spent half a day cleaning him up so he could go in the king's presence. That afternoon, he sits down in the throne room. Talk about supernatural promotion. But isn't it interesting that just before supernatural promotion came, he was tested with being faithful about being forgotten. I'll be faithful when I've got so little. And obviously God saw that he would be faithful when he had much. And he's remembered and he's restored in one day. Remember last week, what did we say, Habakkuk? Write it down so you can run and also so that if it lingers... You should wait for it because it will surely come. You know, for Joseph, he hit the throne of Egypt when he was 30 years of age. He was a boy telling tales on his brother brothers when he was 17. So for Joseph, it was 13 years, most of it pain. But he held faithful to the vision. He kept the integrity of his heart. He released bitterness he refused to get bogged down in pointing fingers at even people who'd done him the wrong thing he just set his heart on that vision on that dream he stayed faithful and in one day and here's where we'll finish the story it's so this is to me is one of the best parts of the whole thing in verse six it it tells the story of um uh, th- th- this sorry, this whole chapter tells the story of the famine in the land. And, J- and Joseph's father tells his brothers, they all thought he was dead. They didn't know he was in Egypt. They all thought he was long gone. And, uh, and the father says, there's a, there's a famine. I'm going to send all you boys down to get food. And of course, Joseph at that point is basically saving the world. The then known world, the cradle of civilization, is in a massive drought. And so in verse six it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. This is what you call living the dream. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is, they're in Joseph's hand, their lives are in the balance. There was a time when they said, you just want to rule over us. You just want to put a yoke on us. You want to be the master. And the beautiful thing is, Joseph could have, but he had the power to be all those things. Instead, what they find is a saviour. As the story unfolds, Joseph ends up throwing himself on his brothers who betrayed him and crying and say, I see God's hand in it all just to keep you guys alive. And and this is kind of where Joseph's story and Jesus' story intersect, where they collide. Because if you look at Jesus, every trial that Joseph went through, Jesus went through. Jesus was sold for silver. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was falsely accused. All of those things happened to Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how often our world will say, we need to throw off the shackles of God. He just wants to rule over us. He just wants to master us when jesus came he came in exactly the same way that joseph did as a savior he even said things like if you're really really hungry i'm true bread indeed i'm the bread come down from heaven it's actually me and so joseph's story is just pointing like a big arrow at someone else who had a dream for humanity. His name is Jesus Christ and He didn't come to rule over us like some oppressive king. He came to lift the shackles off and to feed His people. And I think that when we capture vision in our heart, we capture heavenly dream and we determine to fulfill it, we become part of that. We become part of the solution rather than the problem on the planet. We start to bring life and we bring healing to people in our world, wherever we are, wherever God has placed us. That's the power of heavenly vision. And yes, there will be opposition. Yes, there will be bad days. There might even be false accusations. You might even get sold out. You might get labelled. All of those things may happen. But one thing's for sure, if it's a vision that God has put in your heart, it will come to pass and it will be even bigger than what you saw because when Joseph is standing there at the throne and his brothers have thrown themselves on the ground just like the dream said they would when Joseph looked up the whole then-known world were lined up to eat from the store of grain that he was providing he didn't just save his family he didn't just have his his family recognizing him the whole then-known world the cradle of civilization Oh, Joseph, their very lives. Come on, what has God put in your heart? No matter what's happened, golly, forgive whatever you do. Keep your heart free. Come on, it's a, when you forgive, you're not saying what happened is right. What you're saying is I refuse to carry it anymore. Keep your heart free. Keep your heart open. Keep that dream God-centered. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in and through you. And you'll be amazed at what God does. You'll be amazed. You can move through betrayal. You can move through false accusation. You can move through, you know, very physical opposition. You can move through it all to see God do something amazing through your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Father. We lift our hearts to you, Lord, and I pray, just pray. I pray for people right now that have recognised themselves at different stages of that journey. Lord, for those in a pit right now, just feel like they've fallen in a pit or they've been thrown in a pit and they haven't been able to move on. Father, I just pray right now that they'd know your provision in that place and it would lift them. It would lift them. It would lift their vision and then it would lift their circumstances. Father, for those that might feel like contained, just totally contained, I'm unable to to fulfil it. I'm unable to move toward it right now. Father, I thank you that your favour can be found even in that place of containment. And I just release that word of faith over us today in Jesus' name, just supernaturally, that faith would rise like a gift of faith for people who find themselves in frustrating containment but just have an absolute confidence that you've got it in hand that your favour is right there and that you will move them on in the right season in Jesus' name. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you for restoring broken vision and dream where people have let go of something. It's just been too painful maybe to hang on to it, but you've been breathing on it, Father, even in these moments we've had together and I just pray you would restore it. It would revitalise that resurrection power of Jesus Christ would come upon those things that are godly seed in our hearts. You'd breathe on it and bring it to life in Jesus' name. I thank you for it, Father. And you know, if you're here with us today and you'd say, well, my experience isn't one of following God. You know, I wouldn't say I'm close to God. But even as we talk about vision and dream, you recognise there's something more to this life. There's something more to this life than what you've been experiencing. The Bible says that God has a vision for your life. And more than a vision, He's actually got a plan. He's got a plan to prosper you and to give you hope and a good future. That's God's plan for us. And you can connect yourself to that right where you are. You can just open your heart, your own heart of hearts, and say, Jesus, I want to know you too. Just as Joseph was the saviour of an ancient world, Jesus is the saviour of the present one. And you're able to say to him, I want to know you. I open my heart to you. Come into my life Help me to understand what you want from me and what it is to follow you. Just your own words, friend. Just connect your heart to the life of God. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's dare to dream again.